As I said earlier, we're back in First John, our series called Love and Light. And let me start with a question. Have you ever had to tell somebody something that was really hard, but you knew that you needed to tell them that thing for their good? All right, so just kind of jog your memory. Can you ever think of a time where you really had to have a hard conversation, tell someone something that you knew was going to be hard, ultimately for their good? Just kind of think back in your time. and Can you think of a time, maybe? Uh, perhaps you had to... Uh, you know, break up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you just knew because you're so awesome that that was really going to shatter their world and break their hearts. And so you just, man, you stayed up all night. Man, your stomach was in knots. You're like, ah, man, I, kinda, I know I need to have this conversation, but I don't want to have this conversation. Gonna be tears and snot and everything, and I don't like that. And or, 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 you know, maybe if you're you're a parent and you had to have a hard conversation with your kids and tell them that something that they'd really been looking forward to, all of a sudden it's not going to happen. It's like, man, I know we talked about going to Disney this year, but man, the man, the finances just aren't there. And so we're not, not, not going to be able to do it. And that's hard to have those conversations with kids. Or imagine if you were a doctor. Man, we've got a handful of doctors here at New Life. But, man, half their job is telling people really awful news. Like, man, you've got this terrible, devastating disease. Like, how hard would that be? That That's like half your job. So you could probably think back to one of those moments where you've had to have that conversation with somebody really hard, really painful. You knew it was going to be hard and painful for them. But at the same time, you knew you needed to do it. And there's like this, man, you just feel sick to your stomach, man. You're just not nauseated about it because it's it's hard right now the reality is those conversations are a necessity in life they're a necessity no fun but they're necessary right because the only thing worse than than having that conversation with someone is not having that conversation with someone right because that allows unhealthy things to kind of grow and fester underneath the surface and that's not ultimately good for them it's not good for you it's not good for the relationship so as hard as those conversations are to have, they're ultimately healthy and necessary. And that's exactly what the Apostle John is going to do with us and for us this morning. He's going to say some really hard things to us, not because he hates us, not because he's grumpy, but because he actually loves us enough to say the hard things. Can I, can I, can I just say for a moment, I think this is one of the things that's sorely lacking in our culture today. I don't know if you notice this or not, but kind of in our culture, we've adopted this untrue and I would argue toxic idea that to love someone means to never say the hard thing to them. Have you noticed that? that that's kind of the definition that's running throughout our culture today. If you really love someone, that means you never challenge them. You, you never say the hard thing to them. You just affirm everything in their lives. Even if it's destructive, even if you know it's going to be bad for them, you just gotta, kind of pat them on the head and walk on in life. And I just want to say to you this morning, friend, that is not love. In fact, I, I would argue that that's actually a form of hatred. Love says the hard thing. Oftentimes with a, a tear in the eye, but love says the hard thing for the good of the other. And John loves us, and so I want to just encourage you as we get ready to, to jump into our text this morning, go ahead and just buckle up the chin strap, right? We're going we're gonna to jump right in. It may feel painful in the moment, but in the end, it will be for our good. I really believe that. We're going to be in 1 John. If you want to go ahead and turn there, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, that'll be our kind of landing text this morning. And John, throughout the letter, gives several reasons. If you've been reading along as we've studied this, and I hope you are kind of reading this book as, as we go through it, maybe in your personal quiet time, but, but you've probably noticed that, that John gives us several reasons that he's writing this letter, but I think we get the overarching reason that he writes this letter in chapter 5, verse 13. I want to read that to you. We'll get to that in a few weeks, but I think it really sets the stage for what he's going to say today. This is what he writes in 1 John 5, 13. He says, I write these things to you. In other words, this is the purpose for me writing this letter to you, 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. Like John wants you to know that. I think it's good, right? I want you to know that. I think Christ wants you to know that. As a pastor, uh, as you can imagine, I get asked a lot of questions, man. Questions about the Bible, questions about theology, parenting, marriage, like you name it. I've probably been asked it some way, form, or fashion. As a parent, I get asked even more questions, right? Dad, why do we have to go to bed at a certain time? Why, why can't we stay up till one o'clock in the morning, you know, even on a school night? Dad, why do I have to eat certain foods that mom puts on our plate that don't taste very good? Uh, Dad, will I ever use algebra in real life? The answer, honey, is no. You will never use that. It's completely useless, but I suffered through it, so you gotta suffer through it, all right? Just shut up and do it. This is part of growing up, right? We all ask questions, and we all get asked questions, but I would argue this morning, the most important question that any of us can ever ask is, how do I know I have eternal life? And when's the last time you thought about that? If somebody just asked you in your neighborhood, you're walking your dog, or you're walking in the park at work, in your high school campus, whatever, somebody just came and said, man, I know you're a Christian, like, how, how do you know? How do you know when you die, you're gonna be with God forever? How do you, well, how, do, well, how would you answer that question? And if you think about it, we get what? On planet Earth, most of us get 60, 70, 80. If we're lucky, maybe 90 years, maybe a little more, maybe a, a little less. But in the grand scheme of things, whether it's 50 or 100, man, that is a drop in the ocean of time. That's why James, the, the half-brother of, of Jesus, says life is a vapor in chapter 2 of his letter that he wrote. Life is but a vapor. It's a mist that appears for one second and then it's gone. So just imagine when you walk outside on a really cold day and you kind of go, right? And you get that big plume of vapor and then you see it for literally a second and then it's gone. Like John says, that's your life. James says, that's your life. That's it. That's all we get on planet Earth. So the fact that we spend almost all of our time thinking, planning, scheming for the vapor that is our earthly life, and most of us give little to no thought about what comes after, namely eternity, is the height of human foolishness. Like guys, have you thought about like, like how dumb is that? That we spend 99% of our time talking, planning, scheming for, and give no time to the rest of eternity. Like how dumb is that? How dumb are we? And the truth is, regardless of where you're born, what religion you subscribe to, whether you're irreligious, all the stats bear this out. The vast majority of people across the spectrum of belief systems believe that after you die, there's an afterlife. Did you know that? It doesn't matter if you're born in a Buddhist country, an Islamic country, a Christian country, a secular atheistic country. The vast majority of people, when you poll them, believe in some form of afterlife. It's almost like it's hardwired into our psyche to believe that this life can't be all there is. Now, I would argue from the Christian worldview that that instinct in our souls is because of what King Solomon said all the way back in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity into the human heart. So let me, let me just encourage you, like if you aren't asking that question, do I have eternal life? Let me just submit to you this morning that maybe it's time that you start to ask yourself that question. That that's actually a healthy question for you to ask. A question that all of us ought to be asking ourselves. Do I have eternal life? There's not a more important question that you will ever answer in your entire life, ever. Now, as we work through the, uh, the, the book of 1 John, what you'll notice is that John lays out a threefold test 
over and over again by which you and I can determine whether or not we have eternal life. And he gives us these tests because he wants us to know. He doesn't want us to be like, oh man, I'm kind of unsure, like I hope that I get in when I die and maybe I've done enough or maybe I haven't done enough or maybe I've prayed enough or maybe I went to church, I, I don't know. John doesn't want us to live with uncertainty. And so he gives us these three tests by which we can determine whether we actually know God. Like John wants you to know. I want you to know. I think Jesus Christ himself wants you to know. Now, John's going to word the, this threefold test in different ways throughout the book, but this is basically it. I'm going to give it to you on the screens now. If you're a note taker, write this down. We're going to come back to it again and again. The threefold test that you can know, you can have assurance that you have eternal life, that you're going to spend forever with Jesus when you die. Number one is the test of obedience, the test of obedience. Number two is the test of love. Number three is the test of belief. So how we live, how we love, and what we believe. How we live, how we love, and what we believe. So head, heart, and hands. Think about it that way. Head, heart, and hands. What John is saying is that if you meet Jesus, if you know him, if you have eternal life, it will influence the way that you think, the way that you love, and how you act. It will affect your actions. Now, again, John's going to come back to these again and again and again throughout this letter to help us determine, do I really know God? Am I really walking in the light? Have I really encountered the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ? Or am I merely a religious person? Am I merely a spiritual person giving lip service to something that hasn't captured my heart, my mind, and my life? What we're going to do today is we're going to tackle the first two tests. The test of obedience, the test of love. Next week we'll look at the third test, the test of belief. But before we dive in, let me just pause for a second. Let me invite you to pray with me for God's help as we step into his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And I just confess on the front end that uh, some of these words that we're going to be looking at today are a challenge. They're hard. They're convicting. They're not always easy to read or apply because they force us to look inward and examine our thoughts, our, our hearts, our motives. So, Father, would you remind us by the power of your Spirit now as we open these ancient words that you give us, all things in your word, ultimately for our good. It's not because you hate us. It's not because you're angry with us. You're giving us the truth, the, the good stuff, the easy stuff, and the really challenging stuff, all because, A, we need it, and, B, you love us. So help us to receive it in a spirit of love from a, from a Father who, who does love, for, love us and care for us, God. Help these things sink into our hearts in a meaningful way. Make us more like Jesus when we leave this place. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we jump into the text with both feet this morning, let me just remind you of something. John is, John is writing this, at least in part, because he's dealing with a, a false gospel that has begun to emerge in the Ephesian churches where he's a pastor. Okay, so there's this false gospel. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's called the Gnostics, Gnosticism. This is kind of the false gospel that is uh, emerging in all these Asian churches. And, and what the Gnostics would, would teach folks, and it was beginning to confuse Christians. So, so believers were beginning to wonder, well, do we believe the gospel that John preached or do we believe this new gospel that these Gnostic intellectual folks are preaching? Like, they're a little bit different. One is just like Jesus only and the other one seems like it's Jesus and this other stuff. Like, which one do we believe? And so John is writing to address that. And what these, what these Gnostics believed that was, was basically that knowing God was an intellectual exercise only. 
They're very intellectual people. So it's all just kind of like, as long as you've got the theology right in your head, you're good. That was kind of the thought process of the Gnostics. And so what they began to teach was that it was possible to know God and live like the devil. That's, that's basically what they taught. It's possible to know God and live like the devil, which, by the way, is a, a common teaching in churches in modern-day America as well. And John is interrupting that conversation. He's saying, no, 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 wait a minute now. That's a load of bull. In fact, it's impossible to know Jesus and continue walking in the darkness. And so here's the first test that John is going to give us. It's found in verses 3 through 6. It's the test of obedience. Let's read it together. First uh, John, I'll read it to you. John, First uh, John chapter 2, starting in verse 3, he writes this. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. Do you want to know if you know Jesus? Do you want to know if you have eternal life with him? He says, by this, you can know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a, you guys read that word for me. Say liar. Y'all said it, not me. Don't email me. And the truth, and the truth is not in him. But, 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 whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked. That's hard. That's hard stuff. So let me go ahead and give you the first of, of two big ideas this morning, just a two-point sermon, keeping it easy for you. Number one on the screens for you, to know God is to love God, and to love God is to obey God. Now, now, now in most churches across America today, you'll get the first two. No problem teaching the first two, right? You ought to know God. You ought to accept Jesus into your heart, blah, 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 and then you'll love God. Most of us leave off that third component, and John says, you can't leave off the third component. Because if you know God, you're going to love God. And if you love God, you're going to want to obey him. Now, John is saying this is how we know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commandments. And then John raises the stakes even further. He says, if you say you know him. Now, listen, we all know people like this in our lives. The reality is some of you may be there now. I've probably been there at different seasons in my life as well. But this is what John is saying. If you say you know him, but you don't keep his commandments, he says, you're a liar. You're a liar. And the truth is not in you. In other words, John's saying, man, if you, if you say you know Jesus, but you don't follow him, you don't attempt to obey his commandments, you are a low-down, sorry, slug of a human being, probably also an Auburn football fan, the worst of the worst. John is not pulling any punches here. Not thinking what he's trying to do is he's trying to grab our attention with provocative language. He's trying to wake us from our spiritual slumber so that we might find the healing that our souls desperately need if we're not yet in Christ. And he's trying to give assurance to our hearts for those of us who are already in Christ. This is John's way of saying, guys, listen, I love you. Wake up! I love you enough to say, wake up! I want you to examine your hearts, examine your lives. Like, do you really know God? Do you really love him? Because if you know him and you love him, then you will strive, not perfectly, but you will strive to obey his commands. Now, let me say this. It's important that you understand this. I think it's important that we understand what John is not saying here because it'd be really easy if you were new to church, new to the faith, exploring the faith, to hear everything that I've just said and think, 
okay, gosh, man, I guess that I've got to obey Jesus. I've got to follow his commandments, and then I can become a Christian. So I've got to, in other words, I've got to obey Jesus in order to earn my salvation and earn my place in heaven. That, that is, let me just say, that's not what John is saying. In fact, that is, a, that is a works-based salvation that you'll find in Islam, you'll find in the Catholic Church, frankly, you'll find in most cults like Mormonism and the Jehovah Witnesses. And the gospel of Jesus actually smashes all of that and screams to us, man, you can never, ever earn your salvation. Like none of us can ever be good enough to get to a perfect and holy God. The gospel says we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So let me just say, I'm not, I'm not preaching a works-based salvation this morning, but let me say, this type of authentic saving faith, that type of faith, listen, it produces a desire in us to obey Jesus. It produces a desire in us to obey Jesus. Now let me ask you a question you guys can answer out loud. Does obedience save us? No. Obedience does not save us. Let me ask you another question. Does being saved birth in us a desire to obey Jesus? Yes, it bursts in us a desire to obey Jesus. And so if that desire is missing in your life, John is saying, that is a red flag. Again, John's not arguing for sinless perfection of the life of the believer, right? He addressed last week the fact that even as Christians, we're all sinners, but he is saying that when we sin as believers, as we saw last week, that we have an advocate in Jesus. And so when we sin, our response is to confess our sin, to repent of our sin, We experience sorrow over our sin. We don't just embrace it. We don't just accept it. We don't just say, well, this is the way I am, or I was born this way, or my dad was like this, and my grandpa was like this, so this is the way I am. No, the sign of the believer is that we identify the sin in our life, and it breaks our hearts. And we confess that sin to our Father because we have an advocate in Jesus. And we have sorrow over our sin. We repent of that sin. Friend, let me just get personal for a minute. The, the older I get, man, I've been walking with Jesus for 20 plus years now, been in ministry for 17 or something like that. The older I get, the longer I walk with Jesus. I just got to tell you, man, like the more I hate my sin. Like, I think when I was young, like seminary, just kind of brash, on fire, but I was, man, I was, I was raging against everybody else's sin, the sin of the world. And I wasn't very introspective about my own heart and my own motives and my own sin. I just, can I, can I just tell you, like, God, I, I hate my sin now. Like, I hate, I hate my sin with every fiber of who I am. Like, when, when the Holy Spirit just pulls back those blinders and allows me to see my selfishness for what it really is. To see my sin and, and how it hurts and wounds those that I love most. Like, man, no, I'm just telling you, like, I'm, I'm, I'm too exhausted to keep on like, justifying my sin. I'm tired of trying to make excuses for it or, or to cover it up. Like, listen, y'all, all I want to do is crucify my sin. Like, I just want to strangle it in my heart and my soul. Like, I hate that in me. I hate my own sin. Now, I know the only way that I can do this is to increasingly abide in Jesus to live in communion with his spirit, to walk in his light more and more so that he gets bigger in my life and as he gets bigger, my appetite for sin gets smaller and smaller. Let me just say, man, if you have that same instinct in your life and you have begun to hate your sin, and I know many of you do because we've had those conversations, if your sin breaks your heart, let me just say this, good, good, 
Like that's maybe the best news you could ever hear, right? Because that is a sign that the Holy Spirit of God is actively at work in your life. Like this is evidence of the second birth that Jesus talked about to Nicodemus in John chapter three. It's really great news. Like if you're convicted of your sin and you wanna confess it and repent and run from it, that's awesome news. That is a sign, that is an evidence that the Holy Spirit of Jesus is working inside of your life. That's awesome. But let me flip the coin around. If your sin doesn't bother you, if there's no conviction when you sin, if your sin doesn't incite a hatred for the brokenness that is inside of you that which displeases Jesus, I just want to say with love in my heart, as I believe the Apostle John is doing, chances are, friend, you do not know the God of the Bible this morning. I don't care if you prayed a prayer at BBS when you were six years old or you walked an aisle when you were 10 years old at youth camp back in 94 or 07 or whatever it was. If you can sin relentlessly, consistently, and there's no conviction and there's no repentance, John is saying that is a sign, my friend, that you do not know the Father. You may be religious, you may be spiritual. Let me say this, there are gonna be many, listen to me, there are gonna be many religious and spiritual people who will spend eternity separated from their creator because on that final day, Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me for I never knew you. And they're gonna have all kinds of excuses. But Lord, Lord, didn't we, man, didn't, didn't, we, uh, didn't we memorize Bible verses? And, and Lord, Lord, didn't, don't you remember that prayer I prayed when I was five at VBS? And Lord, 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 don't, don't you remember that I, I went to church like almost every Sunday? And I sang in the worship team and I served as a deacon or an elder on the church staff or whatever it was. Lord, Lord. And the Bible says that Jesus on that day, I believe with a tear in his eye, is gonna look at thousands, maybe millions, I don't know, maybe billions of people and say, but, but I never knew you. Like, I wanted to know you. Like, I wanted to have a relationship with you. Like, I wanted to transform your life, but you wouldn't let me. I never knew you. I never knew you. There are a lot of people who are deceived today who think they are in when they are actually out, and I love you enough as your pastor this morning to challenge you. Examine your heart with these three tests. The test of obedience, the test of love, the test of beliefs. You know, Cheryl and I uh, celebrated our, our 19th wedding anniversary just a month ago, so we're in year 20 now, um, which is a miracle. We, you should probably construct a trophy for her of some sort. It's been a long time now, and um, by, by God's grace, I, I can tell you that um, I have remained faithful to her all these years. So from that day that we said, I do, I've never been on a date with another woman, I've never kissed another woman, never held hands with another one, never, never did anything with another one, I've been completely and totally faithful to her. Now, that sounds interesting and cool and all that stuff, but there could be several reasons for that, right? There could be several reasons that I've been faithful to her for, for decades now. It could be that I'm faithful to her because I'm afraid she would murder me in my sleep if I wasn't, right? She's actually insinuated that that's what would happen, so I just... Since the cameras are, are rolling, I just want to say publicly, if anything happens to me, <laughs> she did it. <laughs> she did. She did. Actually, I probably deserved it, so leave her alone. <laughs> just let me rot in a shallow grave. I deserved it, right? Now, I, I joke, but listen, the, the reason I faithfully walked with Cheryl all these years is not because I got handed a marriage rule book on our wedding day. I've been faithful to her. I want you to listen to me for 20 years because I love her. 
You understand me? You see the difference? It's not because I got handed a marriage rule book when we got married. I've been faithful to her for 20 years because I love her. And not the kind of like goofy, trash, Hollywood love that they try to sell to us. Man, I promise you, it's not always butterflies in the tummy. It's not always warm feelings of affection when I wake up every single morning. No, it is a decision of the will. And every single day, I make a conscious decision. I choose you again today, and I'm going to choose you tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after that, until the day I die. Listen, y'all, it is love, not rules, that drive my faithfulness to my wife. In the same way, if you're, listen, if you're just trying to keep some set of goofy, moralistic, checklist rules to somehow form a relationship with God and make him love you, listen, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to fail. You're, gonna, you're just, you're just going to fail miserably because you can't keep all the rules. And neither can I. That's why Jesus came. That's why the gospel is good news. But you're, you're going to fail. And the second thing is, you're just going to be a miserable person. You're just going to be trying to keep all these rules and religious regulations and you're going to continue to fail and continue to feel horrible about it. You're just going to be a miserable person. But listen, guys, love makes faithfulness a delight. Do you hear me? Love makes faithfulness a delight instead of a drudgery. Do you see the difference? If you love Jesus, your desire will become, listen, I want to be faithful to him. Like, God, I, lo- I love Jesus so much. Like, I can't believe, like, he stepped out of heaven and he came to this broken earth. He lived a perfect sinless life for me because I couldn't do it. He died a brutal death, the one that I should have died. Not because he had to, but because he loves me. And he rose again, and he's offering me eternal, abundant life now and forever. Like, yes, I want to follow that dude. I want to follow him. I want to please him. I want to obey him. Now, are we gonna are we gonna fall? Are we gonna stumble? Are we gonna mess up? Are we gonna say yes to all of those things? But we get right back up. We dust ourselves off. We confess our sin. We repent. We step into His forgiveness and His grace, and we start running hard after our Savior again, day after day after day, decade after decade for a lifetime. And let me ask you, church family, if you've been doing this for a little while, you've been following Jesus for a while, is this always easy? No. <laughs> right? Like if you're new to this whole thing, you're just exploring the Christian faith, you might be like, man, that sounds like a pretty easy formula, Chris. Test of obedience, test of love, test of belief. Cool. So I just do that and I'm like, have this awesome, abundant walk with Jesus. Yes, but it's not easy. <laughs> and I've told you guys this before. Uh, man, there are parts of the Bible I've been walking with Jesus for 22 years now. There are parts of the Bible still to this day that I read and I just think to myself, I wish that wasn't there. Can I be honest? I mean, this is church. Can I be honest? There are times where I'm just reading the scripture. I'm like, dang it. Why is that in there? (laughs) Be a lot easier. My life would be a lot easier as a Christian and as a pastor if that thing wasn't in there. You say, Chris, you're a pastor, man. You shouldn't be saying things like that from the pulpit. Like, Pearl Clutch. You're a reverend. How dare. Email me at I don't, I don't give a rip at newlife.com. Can, can we all just admit there are things in the Bible that we wish weren't there? Right? And if you're thinking, not me, Chris, I love every jot and tittle of it. Have you ever read Leviticus? 
Now listen, there, I believe Leviticus is inspired by the Holy Spirit. I believe there's truth in there. We may do a series on Leviticus just to prove a point. But it's, listen, it's not exactly like the heartwarming bedtime reading, is it? Like you don't get a romantic evening with your boo and like, hey, let's turn on a fireplace, get some warm tea, just bust out Leviticus for a couple hours. Have a little romantic evening. That's not where you're gonna go with it, right? But, but, but here's the deal. Listen, the mark of someone who knows Jesus, listen to me, this is important. The mark of someone who knows Jesus is that when they come to a part of the word of God that they don't agree with or they don't understand, they say, Jesus, you're right and I'm wrong. I don't understand this and I don't have to understand it. Holy Spirit, make me understand it. If you want me to understand it on this side of eternity, if not, just help me accept it and follow you. Give me faith for this. The mark of a believer is you come to those hard parts in scripture and you say, Jesus, you're right and I'm wrong. Now the flip side of that is the mark of someone who claims to know God but doesn't actually know God is when they come to one of those really hard parts of the Bible they say, ah, the Bible doesn't really mean what it obviously says right there doesn't mean that like there's probably like a cultural difference that makes it not true or or or, or a time difference or they start doing all these hermeneutical acrobatics to make what it clearly says say what it doesn't say so they can feel good about themselves and god couldn't have meant that and so i'm just gonna like ignore this part of the bible like all this stuff about loving neighbor like i like that i'm gonna accept that but all this other hard stuff over here man i'm just gonna i'm just gonna delete that And so listen, church family, consequently, we have a heap of self-professing Christians today in America that treat the Bible like a restaurant buffet. Y'all remember Golden Corral? That was like, that was my jam in the 90s in high school, man. Just go, $7, all you can eat till you puke. And as you're 16, it's awesome, right? I'll have three steaks, four stacks of ribs, eight pizza slices, right? And just everything you want, man. You just gotta go through that line. There's a billion things and I'll have that, I'll have that, I'll have that, but I don't want the green bean casserole or the kale salad or that junk over there. And a lot of us begin to treat the Bible that way. It's like a cafeteria. I'm just gonna go through, I'm gonna get what I like and the stuff I don't like, I'm just gonna leave there. And John is saying, that is a sign, friend, that you don't know the Father. Right? When, when we, 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 we don't pick and choose the commandments that we wish to follow and then abort the ones that we don't like. What John is saying is to know God is to love God. To love God is to obey God. As an old preacher uh, used to say, this is good enough, I'm gonna put it on the screens for you. He used to say this, what we live is what we really believe. What we live is what we really believe. In other words, you're, your words are meaningless. Talk is cheap. You can talk all you want. You can talk blue in your face about you. You love God. You love Jesus. You're a Christian. But then if you live like a spawn of Satan, that tells me you don't actually know Jesus. Now listen, this is hard. This is hard for us as we examine our lives. This is hard as we, as we look at our loved ones who we love and kind of hope they're in, but every evidence in the world tells us they're not in. It's heartbreaking. I told you, buckle up your chin strap. Like, this is, this is hard stuff. But John is saying this is the first test, the test of obedience. And, and the second test is this test of love. We're gonna get into that right now. First John chapter two, starting in verse seven. John, Jesus' best friend, writes this. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. 
The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Whoever says, here, here it is, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Hmm. But whoever, there's that word, circle it, loves. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, did you notice what seems like a contradiction there? He says it's an old commandment, it's a new commandment. Well, which one is it? John, is it old? Is it new? Is, is John getting senile in his old age here? No. The answer is it's both. All right, don't, don't turn there. But Levit Leviticus 19.18, Moses writes this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's an old commandment in that it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, but it's a new commandment at the same time because Jesus takes what Moses wrote in Leviticus and he elevates it to a whole new plane. I want you to watch what Jesus taught his disciples, John 13, right before he went to the cross. On the, on the screens for you, he says this, a new command I give to you that you love one another. That's not a new command. What are you talking about, Jesus? Moses wrote that in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. Here's the new part. Keep reading. That you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, love each other, easy enough, old commandment, new part, hard part, love each other just as I have loved you. Ouch. Right, because friend, how, how did Jesus love us? Did he, did he just love us when we were lovable? Did he, did he love us with strings attached, with conditions when there was something in it for him? No, he laid down his life for the very ones he knew would betray him. Judas, Peter, you, me. Sacrificial love. This is what the Bible calls agape love. And I told you before, the English language is super limited in this way. We have one word for love and we use it in a million different ways. It's very unhelpful. In the Greek language, there's all these different words, Greek words for, for love. And the type of love that God uses for us, for his children, for his people, is called agape love. Agape love. This is how he loves us. Now, here's my definition of agape love. You can find a bunch of definitions online. I think mine is, is the best one. So here we go. Agape love is the selfless, relentless, unstoppable, unquenchable, deep love for another with no strings attached and nothing to gain for the one initiating the love relationship. Now, here's what I've discovered. I think you would admit this true if you were just being honest with yourself. Most of us are really good at loving others as long as there's something in it for us. Ain't that the truth? Most of us are really good at loving other people as long as there's something in it for us. And the vast majority of us will push away from the relational table as soon as there's nothing in it for us or when the cost of loving the other person becomes uncomfortable to us. But listen, friend, that's not the way Jesus loves, and it's not the way his people ought to love. Jesus loves us with an agape love. And so the beauty is this. As we come to know Jesus, as we become his disciples, as he gives us his Holy Spirit to, to live inside of us and to lead, lead us, we, we begin to love those around us the way that Jesus loved us, right? His love begins to overflow onto other people around us. 
And John is saying that's the second evidence that you can know that you actually have eternal life. Number two on the screens for you. To know Jesus is to love others as he loved. Not when it's convenient for you, not when it's easy for you, but to love others. And he's specifically talking about other believers, by the way, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how you know that you know Jesus, is that you love the brethren, you love the, the sisterin, <laughs> the way that Jesus loves you. Now again, this is, this is not to say that, hey, we gotta learn to love each other this way so that we can earn our salvation. John is saying if you know Jesus, if you've experienced his love, a proof of that is how we love each other. Listen, y'all, even when it's hard, even when it's messy, even when it's costly, even when it's not convenient, have you ever noticed that loving people, even in the church, is hard? Have you noticed that? If you're like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I know you're brand new. Just hang around a little while. We will disappoint you, I promise you. Listen, some of y'all are pretty messed up. Some of y'all are really messed up. We got some knuckleheads in here. And for sure, y'all could say the same thing about me. You got a knucklehead leading you. So, you know, this is just part and parcel for us. Jesus goes, Jesus goes, I know y'all are messed up. I know y'all are hard. I, I know it's hard to love each other. And Jesus goes, guess what? Love each other anyway. And don't just love each other. Love each other the way I loved you. And then he elevates it even further. He says, that's actually the proof to the world that you belong to me. Is that you love each other even when it's hard, even when it's costly, even when it's messy. It's interesting to me that Jesus didn't say, the world where you know that you belong to me when you have perfect theology. Our flawless church attendance. Are you tied 10% out of every paycheck? Are you take a mission trip every year? Listen, as important as all those things are, he goes, the world will know you are mine. By the way, you love one another. Gosh, y'all, I, I just gotta tell you, like, this is, as I was studying this week, this was so convicting for me. And that's the thing I love and the thing I simultaneously hate about preaching is the Holy Spirit just has to work me over before I ever get up here. Because here's the reality, I'm just guessing, I, man, I probably haven't loved some of you the way I ought to love you. And if that's you, man, I, I just wanna say, I'm sorry, will you, will you forgive me? Like, I, man, I, I wanna love you the way that Jesus loves me. Now, I know I haven't done that perfectly, and I'm a work in progress, but God, I wanna get there. Like, I wanna love you guys the way Jesus loves, and I want you to love me that way, and I want us to love each other that way, and I want us to just be like a church that's marked by this. Not so that people would like pat us on the back, or we'd get famous, or some magazine would write an article about us, or anything like that, just, just so that people in Asheville would see us and go, God, they love each other. It's so weird how they love each other. <laughs> like, supernatural, sacrificial love. They're a bunch of weirdos, but God, I gotta go check out and see what's going on in that place. The way they love each other is crazy. Like, God, I want to be a part of a church like that. I know that starts with me, and I've got to do a better job loving you. And then Jack goes, hey, listen, I want you to love each other. I want you to love each other the way Jesus loved us. But I need you to understand the opposite of love is actually, it's actually hate. So, like, when you don't love each other that way, it's not just, like, not a big deal. Like, you actually are hating that brother or sister. Ouch. When you don't love each other that way, it's not just like, oh, whoopsie, I'm too busy, my schedule's too crazy. No, you're, you're actually hating your brother or your sister, which is kind of a big deal. Because John says that means you're walking in darkness and you may not know the Father. 
Now, see, here's, here's what I've discovered. Uh, born in Texas, grew up in Alabama, North Carolina now, all that kind of stuff. But for those of us who, who live in the South, grew up in the South, here's, here's what I've, just, I've discovered. A lot of us are really good at dressing up our hate in the South. And I've said this before. You can say any nasty thing you want about anybody as long as you begin the sentence or end the sentence with bless their hearts. You can say any vile, awful thing about anybody that you want in the South as long as you start it or end it with bless their hearts, right? Boy, she's really packed on the pounds this year. Bless her heart. Boy, he's got some buck teeth, needs some braces. Bless his heart. Man, they're, they're not really very bright, are they? Bless their hearts. Right? Or, or even worse, in, in my opinion, is, is we, can, we can spiritualize it. Hey, listen, I, I'm going to tell you this, but the only reason I'm telling you this is so you can pray for him. But I heard Betty Jo's been really struggling with gossip lately. Pray for her. Bless her heart. And listen, I, I, I'm, just tell, I'm just telling you guys, that ain't love. John's saying that's hatred. And it's proof you probably don't know the Father. So if you're participating in that kind of love for one another, I got two words for you. Stop it. Stop it. Man, let's, let's love each other well in this body. Let's spur each other on to obey Jesus, not because we have to or we're trying to keep any rules, but because we get to and because we love our Savior and because ultimately we know that our joy is tied up in walking in the light as he walked in the light. Charles Finney was a 1800s revivalist and had some really jacked up theology in some ways, but I think he got it right when he said this on the screens for you. Finney writes this, revival is nothing less than a new beginning of obedience to God. So we talk a lot about revival like in church circles and revival in churches, revivals in cities, Let's revival in America, and we use all these big things. But here's the reality, revival is nothing less than a new beginning of obedience in your life. And my, like, like we're never really going to see, I don't believe we're ever going to see the, the power of God or the presence of God poured out on the people of God the way that he wants to until we begin to take seriously his commandments and we begin to love him by actually obeying him. And instead of excusing our sin, we begin to confess our sin and repent of our sin and be broken over our sin. Not because we're trying to follow some moralistic set of rules, but because we love our Savior. And loving our Savior means we're going to want to please him and follow him and obey him. I'll, I'll end with this as the worship team comes and takes their place. There was a poem I discovered in a medieval castle in Germany way back in the day. Beautiful poem, uh, author unknown, but it really kind of encapsulates everything we just talked about. This is what the poem says. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way, and walk in me not. You call me life, and desire me not. You call me wise, and follow me not. You call me fair, and love me not. You call me rich, and ask me not. You call me eternal, and seek me not. You call me gracious, and trust me not. You call me noble, and serve me not. You call me mighty, and honor me not. You call me just, and fear me not. If I condemn you, Blame me not. I told you it was going to be hard today. This is good medicine for our souls. We need to be reminded 
that if we know God, we will love him, and if we actually love him, we will obey him. Not perfectly, not flawlessly, not sinlessly, but that desire will be burning inside of us. And if it's not, John says, you probably don't know the creator. I want to finish with the words of Jesus in John 14. Jesus says this three times in the same chapter on the screens for you. He says, if you love me, same thing John just said, by the way. He's just repeating what he heard Jesus teach, his best friend teach all those years. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21 says the same thing. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Same thing, verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And do you want to live with Jesus in 2023? Do you want to walk in his presence? Do you want to experience his power? Because I do. And so let's collectively, as a church family, man, let's, let's press into a new obedience this year, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we love the Savior. That's part one. Let's press into an obedient lifestyle. Here's part two, guys. Let's learn to just love the junk out of each other this year. And let's love each other, not, not the way the world says that we love with strings attached or when there's something in it for us, but let's love each other the way the Savior loved us. Agape love. Selfless, costly, sacrificial. And let's just love the mess out of each other so much so that our neighbors and coworkers and classmates are like, dude, what is going on with those people? They are so weird. But they love each other. Like, I, I've never experienced that kind of loving community. Like, I, wanna, I, don't know, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but I, I want to taste that community. Because God, they love each other in a beautiful way. Let's love each other the way he loves us for our good, for the good of one another, for the fame of Jesus here in Asheville, around the world. Let's pray, and then we're gonna sing to our Savior. God, we, we come to you, and this is hard. Uh, it's hard stuff, hard truth. But thanks, Father, that you love us enough not to just give us the easy stuff, but you love us enough to give us the hard stuff. Not because you're mean, not because you're angry, but because you love us. And you know that the hard stuff helps heal us. So God, we'll receive this with an open heart this morning. Help us not to, to push away from the table of truth, from the table of your word. God, help, help us receive it. Help us ask that question, man, how do I know that I have eternal life? Is there a desire in me to obey Jesus? Not, not perfectly, but is there a desire? Is there conviction when I sin? Or do, do I just try to excuse it away? Do I just embrace it or even celebrate it? And God, help, help me see the way that I love my brothers and sisters. Do I just love when it's convenient for me and there's something in it for me? Or do I, do I love them just because you've loved me in a sacrificial way? God, would you help us become a people in this new year who love you by obeying your commands, by repenting when we fall and fail as we will, and by loving each other with an agape, amazing, incredible, supernatural love. Again, not so that people would pat us on the back or so that we could get any kind of accolades, but so that people would see the way we love one another and say, I want to know their Savior. God, make it so in us this year for your glory. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's worship our King.